it up. So um, you shall not follow the many for harm. Um, this is the key uh, key verse in our reading today from that Hope uh, gave us from Exodus 23. And first, uh, so it's, it's the focus today. Uh, you shall not follow the many for harm. Can someone put that in the in the chat? Would be great. You shall not follow the many for harm. So a little bit of context to situate this in our current moment. So we had this, you know, last week, this grotesque photograph of a president holding up a Bible in front of a church. It was an Episcopal church. While peaceful processors are being tear gassed at his recommendation. Um, and of course, it was uh, quickly uh, denounced by the leaders of the church, particularly compelling were the remarks of presiding Bishop uh, Michael Curry, uh, if you ever have a chance to see those on YouTube in response. But, but the photograph also reveals a much uglier truth that we have to grapple with, that um, the president was conjuring a demonic power at work in the religious sector of American society, white supremacy. I mean, the, pho the photograph worked for his purposes. Um, so religious or not, we are in a spiritual contest to exorcise this evil from among us. And that's especially important for those of us involved in the spiritual life. And I want to emphasize the spiritual nature of this contest, because as scripture says, judgment begins with the household of God. And that photograph was, was judgment on the household of God because it works. And, and we're talking about a purifying judgment here, which is always painful. So in the old denomination I was part of, you may have heard about that, uh, when I was well down the slippery slope on religious equality for LGBTQ people, I, I remember a conversation with a fellow pastor who regarded himself as progressive in that denomination. And this pastor justified hedging his bets, which meant going along with the policies of exclusion, because he was uneasy with the equality rhetoric of the case for full inclusion. Um, he regarded the equality rhetoric as secular, not Christian, and you know that view was not uncommon. You had to you had to scratch to sniff it, but it was there. Now, he was white. He was a man. He could afford to have this lazy perspective, because he had never been denied equal justice. And and that is just a small effect of white supremacy at work in the church. So, equal justice under the law is really the theme of our reading today, and it. It's one of the major revelations that is emerging from the mystical encounter with God on Mount Sinai, which was an event we celebrate on Pentecost. We talked about that connection last Sunday. And, and this portion um, in Exodus 23 comes right after the 10 words. They're called um, in Jewish tradition, the 10 words, not the 10 commands. They're, they're very compact. Um, and, and this portion in Exodus 23 is part of the unpacking of the significance of the 10 words. So here the reading again, I'll, I'll repeat um, Hope's initial reading. You shall not bear, I mean, you shall not tolerate a false rumor, you know, spreading lies about people is the justification of injustice, which always leads to violence. You shall not put your hand with the guilty 
to be a harmful witness, and here the guilty are the accusers whose accusations justify the injustice, and then the mother load, you shall not follow the many for harm. So equal justice under the law is a radical vision at the heart of our faith, but it has been suppressed by whitewashed Christianity. And we have to do the work of exorcising that suppression, uh, whether the suppression comes in the form of direct opposition to equal justice, and there's been plenty of that, or more often as a passive toleration of injustice, which is the focus of our text. It's following the many for harm. So Robert Alter, my, my favorite, I got Robert Alter's version of the Torah and the writings and the prophets right here. Um, and I'm smiling at you, hoping somebody's smiling back, but I can't see you. Um, so Robert Alter notes on this verse go like this. And I'm turning off my little noise making unit in the background there. Excuse me. My apologies. This is what Robert Alter says on, on our key verse. The last word the word harm could be rendered, rendered evil or harm. That's, that's telling. And then he says, the most straightforward way to construe this verse is as an injunction to cling to one's own sense of what is right, despite the temptation to follow popular opinion, including when popular opinion is bent on the perversion of justice, as it often is. So, we're really talking about the toleration of the going along with the many for harm here. Uh, injustice depends on enough people following, going along with the many for harm. And so it's the crucial ingredient in the recipe for injustice. So the Sinai encounter is found in Exodus, which follows the book of Genesis in the Torah. The, uh, and Genesis is all about the problem of human violence. There's some really um, poignant verses in uh, Genesis 5 and Genesis 6, and you put them together, they go like this. The earth was corrupt in God's sight, filled with violence, and God's heart was filled with pain. So the, the Sinai revelation is about restraining human violence. So the 10 words, the 10 commands include, they forbid murder, stealing, adultery, defrauding, coveting, calls for a seventh-day rest that even the farm animals had a right to. Um, and this is followed by this call for equal justice, summed up in this phrase, do not follow the many for harm. So why do we think Exodus is so important, the book of Exodus, in the African-American church, and so ignored or reduced to a piety party in whitewashed Christianity? Equal justice, in other words, is a radical vision rooted in the Sinai Revelation, which is celebrated on Pentecost, and it is the aim of the Spirit's fire through history. So where are we? Um, well, equal justice is the American myth, not necessarily the American reality. I mean, just our history, you know, uh, for the founders, um, the founding fathers, um, Equal justice applied only to citizens. Well, who were designated as citizens? Um, about 15% of the population of that time. So white men who owned land 
were citizens and you had to even own enough land to have the right to vote. Indigenous people, not citizens. Two million African people brutalized as slaves, not citizens. A quarter of all European immigrants came as indentured servants, so they were not citizens. Oh, women, not citizens. So the history of our country is, is an attempt to expand the definition or the designation of citizen um, entitled to equal justice, and it has been resisted tooth and nail from the beginning. So policing, we all know, is part of the justice system, and it's part of the justice system that we all encounter in our lives, but we don't encounter it equally. So policing began here in the, in the United States as basically slave patrols. So first it was to keep brutalized Africans working the fields against their will, working the fields, and then rounding them up when they escaped. Um, I lived through in Detroit, uh, I was in high school through the 1967 uprising of African-Americans in my city in Detroit who were just fed up with the rampant police brutality against black and brown bodies. Um, and, and here's a truth suppressed by whitewashed Christianity. It's a quote from um, the Southern novelist, William Faulkner. The past is not dead. It's not even past. The past is not dead. It's not even past. In other words, what happens in the past continues to have effect long after the event. So when George Floyd's murderer first charged, was first charged, I think it was like two weeks ago, with murder in the third degree, remember? I asked my stepdaughter who graduated from Michigan State in criminal justice uh, recently about that. And she said, well, it's gotta be at least second degree um, because the video shows him in commission of the act that he refused to stop even after his fellow officer reported no pulse. So a few days later, as it came to pass, uh, charges were increased to second degree murder. But Keith Ellison, the attorney general of Minnesota, said very clearly, he said, even when the evidence is clear cut, gaining a conviction against a police officer is extremely difficult. There's only one prosecutor in Minnesota who's ever done it when the charge was murder. So that, that's a chilling example of how the many tolerate harm. You shall not follow the many for harm. So um, you probably noticed this, uh, when I'm out walking and engaging in, in this uh, period with other people like in public, I, I am amazed at how subject I am to the imagined perception of the many. So like if I'm somewhere where I think it's wise for me to wear a mask and most other people are not wearing masks, I'm embarrassed to wear a mask. So who gives a rip what these strangers think? Well, apparently I do. So, you know, I'm getting around a lot lately on Zoom and, fo and phone and texting and email and whatnot. And one of the things I hear many of you talking about um, is how to engage family members 
affected by white supremacy. You know, um, you know probably this, the indication would be um, family members who glibly repeat, uh, all lives matter. So uh, when my wife of 40 years died suddenly, if someone had said to me, you know, Ken, all wives die. I mean, that, that would have been true, but it would have been grotesquely uh, uh, brutal. I, I'd have befriended them. But saying Black Lives Matter, where it's safe to say it, when everybody agrees, that means very little if we don't find ways of speaking up when it comes up in our families. So this is one of the very um, challenging and personal implications of you shall not follow the many for harm. So many of us are in families where all lives matter is the motto. And so now, especially, we are facing the, the question, well, how do we speak up effectively? And when do we speak up? And, and we all know families are challenging and the dynamics are complex. And you know, like who wants to rock the boat, especially in a pandemic, but affecting cultural change in this moment will not happen without some, without a lot of boat rocking in white families. Like if we don't rock some little boats in our family circles, the big boat is going to capsize and it will not be pretty. So I, I'm grateful that um, as I talk to different people and just knowing the congregation, um, the will is there, the desire is there, um, the cultural moment is certainly uh, here. And I think what we need is to, um, is to learn to dance with Lady Wisdom, if I can use that metaphor. We need to learn how to dance with Lady Wisdom. So I think we need something like a spirit-led unveiling of multiple different strategies for different family situations. One size does not fit all. So we, we had a fascinating conversation about this at our staff meeting where we have a number of staff members who are dealing with these things in the trenches of their extended families. Um, and you know, no one feels like, oh, I, I'm just nailing it. I am nailing it. Um, but, but yeah, that's just where we're at. Now is not the time for the white ego rooted in white fragility. This is the time for white humility, which is like, I need to learn. I'm gonna make mistakes. Uh, my ego is a hindrance and I'm going to leave it in the box for this work. So do not follow the many for harm is not a motto for the hero's journey. Um, Emily has a great post in her in a blog about this recently. Um, uh, do not follow the many for harm is just the quest to be a decent human being. It's, it's a good neighbor. It's, it's to make Mr. Rogers happy. There's no gold stars awarded for this. So I just want to close by making an offer. Um, I, I'm offering to start a monthly Zoom meeting for anyone who wants to, let's say, dance with Lady Wisdom in the realm of engaging parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, siblings, cousins, co-workers in this, uh, in this struggle. Um, maybe like open with a five-minute little wisdom nugget on family systems or things like that. And you know, take a couple of 
case studies and work them over. Uh, so we can become more ambassadors for justice in our families. So send me an email if you're interested. And you know, the, we need to blow away a lot of this like false sense that families can't change. Families can change. Uh, I've been working um, with parent allies uh, for two years now, and we have a monthly meeting. And that's all we talk about is how to, how to be allies for LGBTQ kids in, in our larger family systems. And it's amazing the way that families can change, but it takes like um, a learning curve, it takes work, it takes intention, um, but it happens and it can happen here. So I'm, uh, I'm done. And I'm, I'm supposed to lead us in a call and response, but I have a slight little technical thing that I need to, I need to fix. Emily, you don't need to be distressed. Oh, I'm not. I just wondered, do you want me to do the reading and someone else do the response? I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I'm good for it. I got a, I got a backup plan here. All right. So calls and responses are like a, a great way for us together to invoke the spirit, to come to our aid. There's something powerful when we do it together. So that's like what the call is. And then the response is, is like together we're saying, yes, we need this help. Please help us. Helps us to give voice to some things. So we're going to use what we used on Pentecost, uh, slightly adapted. So I will, I will give the call and then Emily will um, invoke the response and you can uh, join in with Emily at home. We groan at the manifestation of white supremacy at the highest levels in our land. And as people of faith, we are outraged at its coddling in whitewashed Christianity. Those who have ears, let them hear. God of mercy, fall on us. We lament the ongoing violence against brown and black bodies running riot in our land. Those who have ears, let them hear. Wind of God, blow on us. We confess our need for an infusion of revelation and power on the order of the mystical shaking of Sinai and Pentecost upper room. Those who have ears, let them hear. Fire of God, move in us. O oh God, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Open our eyes, open our hearts, strengthen our weak knees. Those who have ears, let them hear. Spirit of God, breathe on us. Blow like a mighty wind within the walls of our homes and our hearts, in our courtrooms, in our city halls, in our police stations, in our streets, in our schools, in our faith communities, and in the citadels of corporate power, financial power, military power, and political power. Those who have ears, let them hear. Wind of God, blow on us. Send tongues of fire, purifying fire, the fire of the cherubim among the burning ones in the Holy of Holies, and let Lady Dance, Lady Wisdom dance among us again. Those who have ears, let them hear. Fire of God, move in us. Remember your words, O Lord. When the oppressed suffer violence and the poor cry out in misery, I will arise, says the Lord, and give them the help they long for. Those who have ears, let them hear. Arise, O God, and bring us with you. God of mercy, fall on us. Amen. <laughs>